two, we talked about our thoughts. We talked about the idea that your thought life is shaping your entire life, that it's driving the course of your life. And so our theme verse was out of Proverbs chapter 4, and we're actually going to start with a verse that is in our Bible reading this week, and then we're going to end today with a verse that is also in the Bible reading this week. We just like to line it up like that. So if you are not in the Bible reading, you would love to do that with us. We read the Bible once a year all together. Uh, we have a different portion each day that's provided to you. It's in the app, and we have some printed versions as well. But we just read through. It gives you a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament, a Psalms, and a Proverbs. And so we're starting with one of the verses that we will read this week. And so I thought we would study it and then you'll read it as we go. So Proverbs chapter four, be careful what you think. This was the idea last week. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your entire life. So be careful what you are thinking because your thoughts become a belief, become an action, become a lens through which you see the world and it affects your entire life. So we talked about this, that we need to think about what we're thinking about. It's why in Romans, God says he wants to make you a new person. But he does it by doing one simple thing, changing the way that you think. Give you a whole new perspective, give you a whole new life by changing the way that you think. And then it ends by saying, so you'll be able clearly to see God's will for your life. That it's good and pleasing and perfect. You're like, I'm living in a little bit of a cloud. Or if you're like, hey, I just have a decision and I don't know what God wants me to do. Changing the way that we think, being able to see God's will for our life is behind everything that we do. That we would live that out in our lives. That was week Number two, encourage you to jump online and check that out. Today, I want to take it a step further and challenge you about what comes next. So we talked about living a focused life. We talked about our thoughts, the foundation of everything that we do. But then usually once we think it, then for some reason we say it. For some reason, once it begins as a thought, all of us, mature or immature, all of us then decide that it is going to escape right out of our mouths. In fact, it says this in Proverbs 18. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And the words that you speak, you're going to eat them, everybody. Come on, somebody. No, it says that those who love it will eat its fruit. I heard one time, right? Keep your words sweet in case you have to eat them later. Come on, somebody. The Bible said it first. This idea of once we think it, though, then we say it. But the idea that our words have weight is one I think that is lost on us. That the words would have the power of life and death. And oftentimes we fail to realize just how powerful our words are. Jot it down if you're taking extra notes. This isn't even in the fill in the blank. But if you are saying it, make absolutely sure that you actually want to see it. If you are saying words, speaking things over situations or people especially people, if the words that you are saying, make sure you actually, because we will start to believe the words we say. Problem is when we say it, we begin to see it in our lives. Now, listen to me. The words that we speak are shaping things. Now, we don't have the power that God has. Let me be clear at the outset of the sermon. I just want to be clear because oftentimes these things get skewed in a thousand different directions. God's words have creative, incredible power. We are created in his image, but the words of God are above any other words that we could speak. In fact, it's amazing in Genesis. You go back and study in the book of Genesis when God created. Each of those days of creation, they begin with this same phrase, and God said. The words of God, incredible, universal, creating, spoken in existence by the creation of the world. And we don't have the power to create the universe. I'm not saying that we are all little gods to ourselves and we speak things into existence. I'm not a name and claim it blab it and grab it kind of guy all right that's just not all right that's not what i'm saying but then i think the danger in the church is we will swing the pendulum all the way to the other side we say well there are the words of god that actually create things and then we swing it and we underestimate it we say well our words have no impact 
and I think we go too far, and there's a danger in both. There's a danger in this idea of thinking, well, the words that we speak then, if we don't have creative power, if I can't just speak it into existence, then my words must not mean anything, and they must not do anything. And I promise you that we are hurting, I was going to say, we are, we are incredibly disenfranchising the words that we speak. That they have power in the things that they do. That the words that we speak are shaping the lives that we lead. That they are shaping the world around us. If there's a thought for today, the words we speak are shaping the life that you have. And I think sometimes we discount them so far on the pendulum swing that we don't think they matter at all. The words we speak are shaping the life that we have. The words you speak over your marriage, over your children, over your relationships, over your morality are shaping the life that you are living, creating the reality. You're, because the Bible tells life and death are in the power of the words that we speak. And so it's fascinating how we get into these ruts of life. And you may wonder why that is. You may wonder why every January it feels like a rut. You get this list of things that you want to change. I have one. I hope you have one too. You got this list of, of ideologies or optimism or whatever it is that we put on the list. And we think this is going to change in my life this year. And then somewhere around like March, some of you are like, forget March, end of January. But somewhere around March, we're like, like just taking things off the list just because we can't stand to see it there anymore. We're just like, it's not going to happen. And so you put these things on there. Like, man, I'd like to get in shape this year. Or, man, I'd like to eat better. I'd like to heal that relationship. Or I'd like to maybe mend some bridges. Or I'd like to invest in my marriage. Or I want to really just pour into my kids this year. I want to read my Bible more. Or maybe you're like, hey, I want to just be in a type of ministry. Or I, I, I would just love to be able to reach more people for the gospel. Or I'd love to start a small group. Or even just attend a small. You have all these things that are on the list. And what happens to us, studies say year after year, we end up in exactly the same place. We end up in the thing. It's like the guy that said, I want to lose 10 pounds this year. And then around June, he was like, praise the Lord. I got 20 pounds to go. Come on, somebody. I just going to, we find ourselves. And so what we usually do, and this is just me. I know none of you people ever do this. What we usually do is we look at that thing on the list until finally we just can't bear it. And we have either accomplished it or we take it off. And most of the time we take it off the list and we just say, okay, next year. And it shows right back up. And studies say it will, we will do that for 10 years usually on average for one particular resolution until finally we stop putting it on the list altogether, usually because we think it could never happen. About 10 years, if you've ever looked at that, 10 years we will put this and take it off the list because we're like, I'll never be free. I don't know why I put it on the list to begin with. I'll never be free of that or I'll never mend that relationship. I'll never have that happen in my life. I'll never turn that part of me around. Well, the reason is we're not really boiling life down to its simplest form and looking about the thoughts that we're thinking and the words that we're speaking. And oftentimes we are self-sabotaging by speaking words of death over our own lives, over our spouses, over our kids, over our friendships, over our relationships, over every part of our life. We are speaking death without even realizing it. Because listen, everything that you speak, I was talking with our dream team this morning, man. I just, I, I love our dream team so much. They're the ones who serve around here and make all of this go. Our dream team serves from the kids ministries to the tech team, to the music, to the small group. They, they make the heart of the church go. And so I love every chance I have to just encourage and tell them how valuable and amazing that they are. 
And so this morning, just talking to them about the words that we speak, that we either speak life-giving words or life-taking words. Every interaction we have, you really don't have the power to have neutral interactions. I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe once in your life, when you were like vegging out on the couch, it was a neutral interaction. Maybe that happened. But most of the time, you really don't have the power to have a neutral. Everything is either life-taking or it's life-giving. You either walk away going like, wow, that was amazing. I feel so great and I feel so refreshed and that just really built me up. Or you walk away like, whoa, like that was terrible. That was really well. All of us have been in church services where we get to the end and we're like, whew, like that was rough. Like I feel, I feel a little beat up actually. I feel a little bit, I don't feel so great. I really don't feel, I could have done without that. That's what I think. And on the flip side of that, all of us have been in a day on a church service and been like, man, that was amazing. I feel so encouraged and I feel so uplifted. I feel like I could tackle 10 mountains and eight giants. I don't know where they are, but I'm going to tackle them. We have come out of that feeling like that. Now we pray every Sunday that you feel like that because the presence of God should be life giving. It is amazing what it can do in your life. And so through Holy Spirit and intercessory, we pray every Sunday, man, that you would experience that because the presence of God is life giving. Religion can be very life taking. And so in each intervention, so not just in the church setting, not just in that, in every interaction you have, you can be out shopping or you can be spending time with your kids or you're out with your friends or catching up or whatever it is that you're doing, life giving or life taking. You can be out with that friend and you're like, come out of it thinking, man, that is so encouraging. We're on the same page. We're building each other up, man. We're just, we're just doing things together. Or you can come out like, like if I never see them again, it will be too early. Come on, somebody like I said, that's rough. I don't want that anymore. I just, uh, I'm busy. I'm just busy. I'm, I'm always busy. Just kind of thing. It can be a tough time. And we need to take responsibility for the fact that the words that we are speaking are playing a incredible role in whether or not those interactions are life-giving or life-taking. If you think back to those interactions, the words we are speaking are either giving life or they're taking. Let me tell you in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, it says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life. Think about this for just a moment. The soothing tongue, a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. I love the two choices you have there. This isn't like, well, they're kind of the same and maybe you'll have a different outcome. No, it says either giving life, a tree of life, or crushing the spirit. Simply by the words that we are speaking. Look at another one, Proverbs chapter 12. It says, the words of the reckless, this is, we'll come back to this word reckless. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Life giving or life taking. The words that we speak, and I think sometimes we don't want to take responsibility for the words we speak. And so we'll just kind of shift it off and not even think about it. Because we don't, if we actually looked at them, we're not exactly fans of the words that we are speaking. Life giving or life taking. Because if you think about it for just a moment, if I gave you a piece of paper and a pen. And I said, write down maybe a moment in your life all of us can remember. A moment in our life that someone said something to us that was life taking. You might have to go kind of far back, but it changed the trajectory of your life. All of us remember a moment that was life-taking. Now listen to me. I want to start off on the surface level because it is not always uh, critical. It's not always intentional. Sometimes it's just reckless. Come on, somebody. Like sometimes it's not intentional or malicious. Sometimes people just, they speak before they think. And oftentimes, I think it's a good discipline to put in your life. I've had to learn it uh, since becoming a pastor. It's one of the people just say things and they are not being malicious. But man, the things they say, life taking. Come on, somebody. We can all remember that. But sometimes it's just reckless. Sometimes the conversation, you've, you've been in situations where you're on the other side of the coin. 
where the conversation just doesn't go the way you wanted it to. You went in with an intention and then you said something and you realized that it came out completely wrong and you have taken life. You have begun to tear down or to do. All of us have had moments where we just spoke reckless words. Like husbands. Come on, somebody. Wives, have you ever come home from like the salon or the hairdresser and your husband has looked at you and looked up at whatever it was that was done and said something like, how much did we pay for that? Come on, somebody. Like, is that, is that what you were going for? Is that, is that what you wanted? Is that the thing on your thing? Now, husbands, this is examples of things not to say. All right. I'm just giving you wisdom from the thing. Reckless words. It's just reckless in times of that. I have said so many stupid things to my wife in there was a, you don't need examples. Come on, somebody. There's just, you don't need, I have said, and you say these things and you think you're being encouraging. Come on. Until you see their eyes, until you see them, how they're actually looking at you. And, you, and you, I realized very quickly that the life taking words I am speaking were taking my own life. Come on, somebody. They just come on. Just they've had to resurrect me many times in my marriage. So that's just it. So sometimes we speak words that take life and maybe you have happened to you. And sometimes that surface though. Sometimes it was malicious. So let's just work our way down through the day. Sometimes it was with ill intent and you have been marked by words like you were a mistake or we never wanted you or you'll never amount to anything or I never loved you. We say some divisive and malicious and we tear down, we take life. All of us can remember being marked by moments like that. Some horrible things that people say. Honestly, one of the dumbest phrases you'll ever hear is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words are some of the most divisive and hurtful things that I can imagine of the things that we do and the things that we have in our arsenal. And we'll see in a moment, the devil can use our words to literally destroy the world around us. So the Bible says life and death in the power of the tongue. And so many of us can remember moments that people have spoken hurtful words that have marked us. On the other side of that, the Bible also says that now life is in the power of the tongue. And all of us can remember moments that people have spoken life into us, have spoken life over us that changed. Honestly, sometimes changed the trajectory of your entire life. You remember a word that someone said or a confidence or something that they said. When you say to somebody like, I'm so proud of you and I can't believe that you were able to accomplish this. And I'm just so amazed by all that you are becoming. You are such an amazing young person, or you are such an incredible encourager. I can't believe how beautiful you are. And I can't believe how amazing you are to other people and the way you pour into them. When we say words like that, we are building people. We are building them up. I remember a show I would watch there as a boss one time and he would, he would talk about his employees behind their backs about how great they are. And he's like, but I would never say that to them in their face. And the person sitting next to him is like, why would you never tell them that? This idea that we just keep our words of life giving, but we are so quick to take life. We are so quick to criticize, but we don't understand that in the same way that we cause death with our words, we can be a tree of healing and a tree of life. That we can speak into people's lives. When you say that, you're adding value to the people around you. And all of us can remember moments that people have spoken into our lives. I am so incredibly blessed by the people that have spoken in my life. I understand that. I see that in my own life. Just every way along the way. People that have spoken life. Like every single Sunday, every Sunday, I get some form of a text from my mama. Come on, praise God for mom, everybody. I get some sort of a text from my mama in the afternoon that's something like, I know I said this last week, but that was the best sermon you have ever preached. Come on, someone. 
I know it's not true. I have had some stinkers. Come on, somebody. I have had some, some absolute stinkers. Well, I have kept you like an hour and a half. It's amazing. It's incredible. But my mama's right. I know I said it, but that was the most amazing servant. I know it's not true, but it doesn't make me feel bad when she says it. Life-giving. My wife will look at me sometimes and tell me how great of a dad I am. Listen, I miss up nine times out of ten. But you know what keeps me trying and keeps me climbing right back on the horse and keeps me going? Life-giving words. Now, every so often... Yeah, come on, somebody. That's the flip of my example earlier because she is amazing and I am terrible. Come on, somebody. So I, I say the wrong things and she somehow said... Now, every so often she will also tell me uh, like a point in a sermon was incredible or like something I said was great because she knows if she says it too often, my head will swell up like a balloon. Come on, somebody. It's just be pride. Like that was a really good sermon. And I'm like, you want me to preach one right now? Like right now, you want me... Because I got a message. I'll tell you all about it. I'll just do life-giving words. And oftentimes we miss the opportunity, but we will always grab the opportunity to tear somebody down. We will always take be life-taking instead of life-giving. And all of us know moments that change the trajectory of our life. Either life-giving or life-taking. So here's the thought. Jot it down if you're taking notes. If you want to build the ones you love, you're going to have to change the words that you speak. If you want to build the ones around you, because all of us put that on the list. I want to invest in this relationship. I want to, I want to really make a difference in this area. I want to do this. If you want to build the ones you love, you have to change the words you speak. You cannot speak death over yourself, over your loved ones, over your spouse, over your kids, over your friends, over your future, and expect a different outcome. We are speaking life or we are speaking death. It's the power in the tongue. So it's time to think about what we talk about. We don't just think about what we think about. That was last week. We got to think about what we say. So I'm going to take a couple of moments and just talk from James chapter 1. We did a book study on James uh, near the end of the year last year. And so in chapter 1, we weren't able to study this portion of the chapter. And so I've been wanting to get back to it. James chapter 1, incredibly practical book in James. If you missed the series, uh, incredible practical. I love the book of James and I despise the book of James because it just like prods in every area of life. But chapter 1, verse 19, and I was actually saving this verse for a relationship series I want us to do next month. But I did it too good. I just thought this would be perfect for right now for us to learn in this idea of the words that we speak. So if you see it again, forgive me, everybody. But James chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone. So if you want to know what that means, it means everybody, all right? So if you're still trying to disqualify yourself, James doesn't let you. Everyone, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to get angry. And I promise every single one of us have failed in some way what this verse is telling us to do. Every single one of us have failed at some stage of this. Because if we're going to speak words of life, we have to master communication. And I will promise you, all of us are really, really bad at it. And so James is writing, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and slow to become angry. You want to capture this principle of life. You want to be life giving in the words that you speak it starts with this verse so point number one jot it down if you're taking notes first thing all of us need to do is we need to listen more we want to talk about communication it starts with listening more you ever notice how bad we are as a culture at listening i don't know if you've noticed this like it has even in my lifetime it has like taken a nosedive and so maybe we haven't become aware of this yet but we are incredibly distracted 
when we are even in conversations, even one-on-one, you will notice two people talking and they are glued to what? Their phones. Come on, somebody. We are glued to the... And listen to me. This is society as a whole. We are terrible at eye contact and we are terrible at like lobbing the tennis ball back. Like, hi, how are you? And we give the tennis ball and then they give it back. I'm fine. We are completely inept at holding conversations without being glued to the outside source or our phone or whatever it is, anything but the person in front of us. Now, listen, I can score easy points as a speaker. I can get up here and say things like, it's this next generation, this young generation growing up on their cell phones, don't know how to hold a conversation, can't do a thing. You want the truth? It is all of us. Every last one. I don't care what age range you talk about. We are all glued to that thing. We are all terrible at eye contact and valuing the person in front of us. And it's quiet in here because it's true. Come on, somebody. It is, it is a lost art to have interaction. In fact, let me just climb on my soapbox for a second. I'll just, just you <laughs> hear me out. I think society died when we got rid of the FAA rule to have planes, uh, phones on planes. Come on, somebody. I think historians will point to that moment because we all cheered. We thought it was amazing. We can now have our phone on the plane. Listen to me. And then we realized... That we got rid of the last bastion of silence and peace in this entire world. Because when they would close the plane door and you'd have six hours of uninterrupted, nobody could reach you. Nobody else could reach anybody. And you could sleep and have an amazing time. Now you got to listen to six hours of Sally yapping about their dog to somebody. Come on, somebody. Just, let me get off. All right. We got, <laughs> where am I? I got my nose. That's just my soapbox for that thing. We got to learn the skill of communication, everybody. We got to learn how to keep some eye contact, how to value the person who is standing right in front of us, right in front of us. And somehow we have lost it, myself included. I don't put myself on something. I find myself talking to somebody and then realizing, like, I haven't even looked at them in the last 10 seconds. I've just been so busy trying to keep all this other spin these plates and I'm not even looking at the person in front of me. And my wife will look at me sometimes. It's like like this look of like, is somebody on fire? Like is somebody, because like we are having a conversation. Is somebody like dying? Is somebody on thing? Like what is like right here? And we need to learn this idea, this skill of communication. And it begins, you want to learn the, the art of communication. It doesn't begin with what you say. It begins by listening. And so we'll just have confession up here. I am a terrible listener. One of my greatest flaws is I am terrible at listening. My family growing up like, Completely new. If you don't have eye contact with me, like when you are saying something, forget it. Like it just doesn't even, it's not happening. Several times where like we would be, the day would arrive for whatever it was we had agreed to. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what's all this? Like, where are we going? What's this happening? And then like we stood in the kitchen. You said yes. And I'm like, I don't know what you want from me. I don't, (laughs) I got nothing. I got no thing of this. Unless you had that. We are terrible at listening. And so if you want to begin to give life with your communication, it begins by listening more. And the part about being a better listener, honestly, is identifying what type of listening maybe you're in and where you would like to be. The technique that you use to listen. And there are millions of these. I did a little study this week. There are every discipline and every category. Everybody has their own versions of these. So I picked the ones that seem to exist across all of the disciplines. So from like education to psychology, philosophy, whatever it is. So kind of a broad brush. To give you a few types of listening, you find yourself where you are and where you want to be. The first one is those who are the worst at listening. And that would be time-oriented listeners. So these people are not really just listening. We're just biding our time until we can talk again. Come on, somebody. 
Like, we're not actually listening to what you're saying. They're just waiting. They are waiting for a pause. Anybody know somebody like this? They're not like, actually, they're just waiting. Now, listen, time out, everybody. All right. I want us to stop listening as I go through this list. Stop listening to this sermon for somebody else who needs to hear it. All right. Because most of you are like, I'm sending that to them right now. I got this, you know, some more. Most of you are like, are you listening? Listen to, we need to stop listening. Let's listen for ourselves. All right. Let's find ourselves in the list and then find where we want to be. All right. Because some of us are just time oriented. Listen, it means we're not really paying attention to what you're saying. We just want to wait for you to stop talking so we can talk. We just need you to stop saying whatever it is. And the Bible has something to say about this type of listener, about us. Proverbs 18. Watch this. It says, fools do not want to understand anything. They only want to tell others what they think. (laughs) Fools want to only tell others what they think. Some of you know people like that. They're not seeking to understand. They're just seeking to be understood. They're not seeking to hear what you say. They want to make their point and move on. It's a terrible technique for listening. You will never develop deep relationships if you listen this way. And then what we have, we'll call action-oriented listeners. So action-oriented listeners would, by nature, this would be any guy who doesn't have Jesus, just by nature. Because guys listen, and we love to solve problems. It is our gifting in life. I want to hear what you're saying, and I'm listening only for the problem. And then I'm going to speak when I have the solution for it. Like, I'm listening to sing, and listen, I've had, we, we don't fight everybody. We have intense fellowship. Come on, somebody. And so we never, we've never fought since we got married. We just fellowship intently. That's what happens in our house. Talk about that this week with some guys. And so this idea, though, I learned early on, and I am still learning, because my head is hard, and I have not been able to get it in yet. But I am still learning this idea that when she is telling me about her problems, she is not looking for me to fix them. There we go. Come on, say. I'm speaking truth. Of, I'm spitting truth all over the stage. She's not looking for me to fix. She's telling because even though I clearly have all of the answers in life, not really, but I clearly, I, I'm listening and I have got your solution. So I don't need all the details. I don't need all the backstory because I know what we should do. I know how to fix this. I just want to tell you because I have solved your problem and then we won't have to carry this anymore. Won't that be amazing? Like we can just drop it right here. We can just move on. It'll be incredible. And what I have come to learn when I say those things, it's going to be great. I got the problem. I got the solution. She'll sometimes be like, would you just shush just for a minute? Because I'm trying to tell you something. I'm trying to tell you something. I'm trying to tell If you are an action-oriented listener, you're not really listening to anything that people are trying to communicate. You're just like, let me listen for the problem, and I have the solution, and we can just move on. And what you'll find, all of these errors in communication, they're honestly grounded in selfishness and sin. Because we make the conversation all about us. And the more that we do this, the more quickly we dispense or dispose of what the person is actually trying to communicate and make it more about us. Let's just move this thing along. Don't give me the backstory. Don't give me the details. Let's just make this thing the best possible outcome for me. And it's really based in selfishness. And the Bible says this. Here's what it says about me. Come on, somebody. Whoever gives an answer before he listens is stupid and shameful. Come on, how many love the Bible? That's just good right there. I read that this weekend, and I was a little, that's a little offensive. Come on, I'm offended for myself. I'm offended for all of you. The idea that whoever gives an answer before he actually listens is stupid and shameful. The truth is, those of us who like to give answers before we actually listen to the entire star are stupid. Sometimes we just got to shut it and listen. 
That's a hard truth. I'm speaking to myself. Come on, somebody. Then there's this third one. There's the content-oriented listeners. These people who do love the story, uh, but they just love it for the story. They just love to hear a good story with details and gossip and all these things. They're interested. They like to take the journey along the way for the story, but they don't care about the person. And I promise you will never develop deep relationships. You will never connect with somebody if you're just in it for the story and the gossip. And then finally, there is the people-oriented listeners. Last category. These are the ones who actually want to understand. They actually want to hear what's being communicated because they care about the person who's talking. And all of us should aspire to reach this level. I'm not there yet, everybody, but man, I'm trying. We should all aspire. Jot it down if you're taking notes. You want to be a good listener. Listen to what people are actually communicating, not just what they're saying. Not just what they're saying, because oftentimes your children will be telling you things and they're actually saying, hey, I need help in this area. Or sometimes your spouse will be telling you things and they're actually telling you, I have got this thing that I need to solve. And sometimes they're saying, hey, this thing I just want to tell you and being able to differentiate. Because a lot of people are not able to clearly articulate what it is they want to say. A lot of people can't be very direct in it, whether it's their upbringing, whether it's the things they've been through. A lot of people will say one thing, but you have to be listening to what they're actually communicating to you. You want to be a people oriented. You want to love people. Life giving. It starts with listening to what they're actually saying. If we're going to have control over our words, it begins with listening. We have to listen more. Back to James 119, our text, it says we should be quick. Sorry, we should be quick to listen. We should be slow to speak. Number two, if we need to, number one, we need to listen more. But number two, we need to speak less. Less words. Come on, somebody. You want to, I'm just, just trying to help you out today. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. It says, when words are many, watch this. So multiplying words. One translation, when words are many, sin is not absent. Sin is not ended by multiplying words. This is fascinating to me. Because sometimes we think, sometimes we will talk and talk, think we are radical. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Translation says, he who holds his tongue is wise. We need to speak less. Like we need fewer words coming out of our mouths. You know, if you don't control your tongue, if you're like talking all day, you're on the phone, or you're just always speaking and never listening, it's easy. It's incredibly easy to like wander off into gossip or into slander, or into divisiveness, or complaining, or lying, or whatever your propensity is. The more words you speak, the easier it is to wander into those areas of sin. The more we talk, the Bible tells us, the more we sin. And so Proverbs 21, it says, watch your tongue, and keep your mouth shut. I love Proverbs today, we're just going to have a great time. Keep your mouth shut, and you will stay out of trouble. This is the best marriage advice I can give to anybody in the room. Come on, somebody. Like right here, watch your tongue, and keep your mouth shut, and you will stay out of trouble. And make sure, watch your tongue, keep your mouth shut, and make sure that every time, every moment, you're not giving your opinion. Every moment, you're not speaking, because we need to be better at listening. And then when we do speak, we need to speak with this, like, spirit-controlled, like, not just self-controlled, like, Holy Spirit-controlled mouth, where we are actually speaking the right words. James 1, one more time. So we're going to listen more. We're going to speak less. And then one more time, our text, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Number three, the most important thing is that in all of our communication, we stay calm. In all of our communication, too many times we bring emotion into the conversation. And when we do, that is where the great propensity for us to slip into sin comes from. But we let our emotions take control of the words that we are speaking. 
Because our emotions will love to take, because they live in our soul, and they would love to take control of our entire life. And we let them come into everything that we say. Now listen to me. Emotions on their face are not inherently evil or sinful. But we let our emotions take control of our reactions to life. We will very quickly step into this idea of sin. We will very quickly step into it and we will use life-taking words to all of the people around us. We will say in a moment of emotion words that we will regret for the rest of our lives. And we will let them take control of our mouth because we are living by our emotions, not by our spirit. We let our soul take over. It's why we do the fast. Remember, we silence the voice of the body and the voice of the soul so our spirit can thrive. But too often we let emotions take control. Proverbs 17, the one who has knowledge, watch this. Uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even tempered. We just got to stay even. Like, I don't know if I can give you any better emotional advice. We just got to stay even in the different situations of life. There's no reason to let emotion. We step into emotions and we step into a world of trouble. In fact, I mentioned earlier James chapter 3. We studied this in a series called Faith That Still Moves. But James chapter 3, he says, Consider what a great forest... Consider what a great forest, like the tongue is a small part, but it makes great boasts. So the things that we see, what a great forest is set on fire, the tongue also is a fire. So the forest is set on by a little spark, but the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, corrupts the entire body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. This is strong words. This isn't like James, like playing patty cake and saying, you should think about this sometime in your life. No, he's saying the tongue is this spark and it will set your entire life on fire. And those of you that have done it, you know the danger. Where you said something in a moment of frustration or a moment of emotion, and then you spent the rest of your life trying to fix it or simply regretting it. Your tongue will set your entire life on fire. You can never take back those things that you said. So here's a principle I found in Ephesians chapter 4. And it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Now, I did a really deep dive this week in the Greek of this. And that word no means no, everybody. Come on, that's really deep in that. <laughs> I don't care what you say, that's deep. So there's no, there's no alibi, there's no way off the hook. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And you say, well, what is corrupting? I love James. He gives you the flip side of this so you can see the contrast. So no corrupting work. Instead, only such as is good for building up. Life-taking or life-giving. Let no corrupting, let no life-taking, let no death come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up. Building up, and then watch this little phrase, as fits the occasion. I love that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. As fits the occasion... That it may give grace to those who hear. The words that we speak. Remember, I can give life or I can take life. The words I speak are shaping the life that I am living. And I got to think about what I'm saying. Because the words I speak are either giving life or taking it from the people I am speaking to. I'm either building up or I am tearing down. That I love as it fits the occasion that it may give grace. Because here's a principle. Jot it down as we close. Everything you say must always be true. But not everything that's true must always be said. And I know this hurts to hear, but there are some times that you got to keep your mouth shut. There are some times that we need to practice restraint. Let the Holy Spirit show us when we are most effective and let him show us when we are letting our opinions rule the day. Let him show us when we can make a difference for the kingdom and let him show it where we are letting our emotions control our words. And we are speaking to hurt, not to give grace. 
And this is a line that every Christian has to walk, where we are looking towards the kingdom and eternity. And so every word we say, building up by giving grace, by building up. But too often times, we want to let fly with our words because we want to cause the hurt that we have felt in our life. And we need to learn this principle. Sometimes, some things are not something we should add our voice to. It's a sign of maturity. That sometimes we just got to, too often we let emotions take control of our relationships. We let our frustration take control of our words. And we ruin our lives by letting our frustration speak. And sometimes we just got to, sometimes you don't even recognize you are speaking death over your life. I want to give you a little tool. I wasn't going to do this, but I gave it to you last year in the series. I think it's a great way to see whether or not you are speaking words of life. Or whether or not you even agree with the words that you're saying. Because all of us will let emotions or frustrations or past hurts come out in the words we say. We don't actually agree, but man, we just keep saying them. And here's this little thing. After everything that you say, add this little phrase and say, and that's the way I want it. You want to begin to evaluate the words that you're speaking. And that's the way I want it. We always fight and we're never going to make and we're never going to reconcile and it's never going to make progress. And that's the way I want it. You're always going to be that way and we're always going to be in debt and we're never going to get our bills paid off and we're never going to be in a place where we can actually breathe and that's the way I want it. You're always going to be a screw up and you'll be just like your father and you'll never amount to anything and that's the way I want it. We'll never fix this thing. You're just a loser and I'm just a loser and we're never going to fix the relationship we have and that's the way I want it. We speak death over our lives every day. And we don't even agree with the words we say, but man, we just keep saying them. I've had people I talk to and they'll say things like, well, I'll never be free from that addiction and I'm never going to break it off my life and I'll never actually see anything happen because I'm just a screw up and I'll never, and that's the way I want it. You want to test for the words that we're speaking. You want to see if you actually align because the words you say are shaping the life that you live. And you are either giving life or you are taking life. See, it's pretty easy for us. We begin to think about in so many situations, unintentionally speaking, death over our relationships, over our kids, over our spouses, over our relationship with God. If you want to see change in the life you have, you got to change the words that you speak. If we're going to change the words we speak, man, we got to pray every day this prayer. It's out of Psalms. Again, this will be a verse in our Bible reading this week. And honestly, it ties last week and this week together. This one prayer from David, it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, may they be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. I just want to pray for every single one of us. Because maybe you find yourself in a position where your tongue has set your life on fire. Like it set the whole forest on fire and you are living in the fallout of that. And so maybe this year you're just determining, hey, I would love to change the words that I speak. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us to do that. Before we do that, though, I just have an invitation. Because I was wondering, even as I'm writing this, I'm wondering how many of you, maybe you came in today, maybe you're watching online, whatever you are. And you're realizing like, hey, I don't have control over my words. But even larger than that, I don't have control over my life. I can't even like fix a lot of the things I'm seeing. And this all sounds great, but like I'm as far from God as you could possibly imagine. So I don't have control over anything. And I think, again, I I just, 
I pray every time I prep for a sermon, every time I stand on this stage, I just pray if you're here and you're thinking like, this all sounds great, but I'm as I've run so far from him. Like I've got no hope anyways. Listen, I've been praying for you. Because honestly, it doesn't boil down to self-help. There is no really such thing as self-help. People don't change. That statement is true. People don't change. But you know what is absolutely also true? That we serve a God who changes people. That there is a God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he wants to come in and bring new life. He wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to use you for the kingdom of God. He has a purpose for your life that he would love to see you live in. And it all begins at this moment. You can decide. Hey, am I going to keep trying harder? Listen to me. It never boils down to you trying harder. But I promise you, there is a God who wants to change you from the inside out. Wants to man take control and make your life something beautiful. And so if you say, that's me. If you say, hey, I'm in a place of hopelessness or I'm in a place where I just can't see the way out and I just, I don't even understand. And maybe, maybe you got in that place because of something that was said to you. Maybe a moment in your life where somebody spoke words of death over you, whether it was a pastor or a coach or a teacher or a parent. And it made you run as far from God as you should possibly get. Listen, I don't know what those words were and I don't know the impact they may have had on your life. But listen to what I do know is true, that God loves you and he cares for you. The Bible says that the Father sent Jesus perfect and spotless to live a life free of sin. And he did it so he could take our place. He did it so he could take our place. The Bible says he died on a cross in our place. For the sins we had committed. Not because we were so great. Not because we were so worth saving. No, he did it while we were still enemies of Christ. While we were enemies of God. Far from him. He did it to reconcile and to rescue us. So I don't know where you are today. But if you need rescue. I promise you. That Jesus came for you. That he loves you. So he died on a cross in your place. The Bible says he didn't stay dead. No, he was raised from the dead three days later. So that anyone, including you, anyone, including me, can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. And so you have an opportunity right now. Opportunity. You say, how does it start? I want to do it, but I don't understand. It starts with a decision that you make. It's a prayer. And I would give you the words to it. And we will pray it along with you. Listen, nobody prays alone, but you have to make that decision. Right now in this moment, you can make that decision. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not making you come to the front. I'm not in this to embarrass you. I want you right now to make a decision if you're going to follow Jesus or not. Right now. If you say yes, if you say that's me, if you say I want to make that choice, pray this with us. We as a church pray it every week. We would love you to pray it with us right now. Say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for every person here, God. We all need to grow in this skill of communication, in this idea of our words. God, that we would listen more. 
Father, that we would actually listen to the people around us and we would hear the hurting or the pain or whatever it is, God, that we would learn to listen first. And then, God, whatever it is that we open our mouth and we speak, we would speak the words the Holy Spirit has given us. We wouldn't let our emotions or our frustrations take over, but we would stay even-tempered, God, to make an impact for the kingdom. And we would purpose in our heart, God, to only speak the words you have called us to speak so we can bring life, that we can be a tree of healing, that we can be, Father, someone that speaks life in every scenario, in every situation. That you would help us by the Holy Spirit be people who bring life. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what he's done today?